I don't think there's any doubt that 2015 was a great year here at Ninth Avenue. A lot of great things happened. Uh, but I think it's also true that even though it was a great year, there's still a lot more that needs to be done. And until every person in the world is a Christian, that's going to be true. No matter how great of a year we might have, there's always more that needs to be done. People that need to be reached with the gospel, Christians who need to be more faithful, homes that need to be encouraged, and so forth. And some time ago, the elders and Tyler and I were involved in some conversations about this particular year, and the idea was presented of having a, a theme for 2016. The elders are proud to say we're on board with doing that. And I know it's been done in the past before here, and for that I'm thankful. And the idea we're going to be doing this year is not to have 104 sermons about one particular theme, but we're going to be simply starting off the year with the theme, and then from time to time throughout the year, bringing it back to our minds so that we're not uh, just beating ourselves over the head with it, but so from time to time it's placed before us as something we want to consider together. And Tyler and I have worked on some ways to do that. Some sermons have been planned, some others are being planned, some other ways are uh, being planned to keep the theme before us. And the theme for 2016 comes from that passage we read a few moments ago in Psalm 1. I hope you'll turn back to the first psalm. If you do, you'll have the outline for our lesson before you. Because the theme for this year is strengthening our roots, knowing God through His Word. She'll be be mad at me for saying this, but I'm thankful for Morgan Page for making the graphic you see before you. I asked her some weeks ago to do that. She did, and she kept it a secret. So thank you for both of those. Uh, But she made the graphic for our theme for this year, and I'm thankful for her for doing that. Going back to knowing God, and knowing God through His Word, by strengthening ourselves in the Word of God. A lot of you know that I'm a student of history. I like reading history. I like reading autobiographies. And some of you do that as well. But if you're anything like me, when I read a biography like I finished several months ago, maybe a biography on Thomas Jefferson, I'm, I'm more concerned about just knowing about that person. Just, just learning what I can, knowing a little more, maybe encourage me as a leader or depending on who I'm reading, maybe, maybe as a, a father or a preacher or something. But I'm not too concerned about knowing, knowing that person. I'm more worried about just knowing about that person by reading a biography. But if you've studied those who write those biographies, they spend years reading original letters and documents and reading speeches and letters that came to that person and all these sorts of things. And quite often you'll hear them say something like this. That I spent all this time reading things by that person, sometimes even their original hand, and I feel like I know them. A couple of years ago, I was watching an interview with a biography writer, and I don't remember who this person had written a biography about, but they in fact written more than one about that person. I spent years and years and years studying that person. And I remember them saying that they felt like that person had become almost a friend. Because they knew them that well from reading so much in detail from that person's original hand, speeches that person had made, and so forth. When I read a biography of Thomas Jefferson or George Washington or whomever, I'm not worried about knowing that person. I'm worried about knowing about that person. But when it comes to God, I don't just want to know about God. I want to know God. I want to know him as well as I possibly can know him. Paul told us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 that we can know certain things about God simply by looking around at nature. 
That there's certain attributes of God that we can discern just by looking at the created order and seeing certain things. But we cannot know God through that. We can know some things about Him. But we, we can't know Him. But we can when we read the Bible. We can know God when we spend time strengthening our roots in the Word. Spending serious time wanting to know what He said to us through the pages of Scripture. We can't know all about God. There are some secret things that belong only to Him, Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. But we will never know Him as fully as we can or could if we don't spend serious time in His Word. And so this morning, to help us be encouraged to do that and also to sort of launch our theme for this year, I want us to spend some time in Psalm 1. And I want us to see what David wrote in that very famous poem. And as I was getting ready for this lesson, I found out later in the week that our students, I believe four-year-old through fourth grade, actually studied this passage this morning in their Bible classes. So maybe they should be up here preaching and not me, because I already know it, know this passage very well from their Bible class. But we're going to be looking very sincerely this morning, but with our theme in mind at Psalm 1, under three ideas. Number one, I want you to consider that David wrote about the encouraging blessing in verses 1 and 2. The encouraging blessing. The psalm begins by pronouncing a blessing. Blessed is. And those words may sound very familiar because we think of maybe the Beatitudes that open the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus pronounced, I believe, nine of them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, and all those things. And we mentioned when we studied the Beatitudes, or one of them, blessed are the peacemakers, that in the New Testament, the word blessed carries with it an idea of, of a spiritual wholeness. But in the Old Testament, when you see a blessing pronounced, such as here in Psalm 1, that opens with that word blessed, it was an interjection. It really did mean happy. Happy is the man. And it was an interjection like, yes, wow, ouch, I feel like I'm doing schoolhouse rock, interjection song. But those blessing of the happiness, the fullness of happiness. But the blessing is seen in two ways. What one does not do, and then what one does. What one does not do, or what, what one avoids, very simply put, is sin. But it's interesting that as David begins Psalm 1, he writes about, if you want to think of it this way, the downward spiral of sin. He writes in verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers or the scornful, depending on the translation you have in front of you. Do you see a spiral there? He doesn't walk near it, he doesn't stand in it, and he doesn't sit among it. You know, we might question someone's faithfulness if we saw that person walking by a place that was known to be a place of iniquity. And especially if we saw that person kind of looking in and seeing what was going on inside that place. They might not be doing anything wrong. We might have, we might at least raise our eyebrow a little bit if we see someone walking near something or some place that was known for being a place filled with sin. But we for sure would question that person's faithfulness if we saw them standing right in the middle of it. And then how much more serious is it if we saw someone comfortable enough that they're just sitting right among it. And even notice David said, sitting among the seat of the scoffers, those who would make fun of the faithful. They would be sitting right among those people. That downward spiral brings to mind the old adage that sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go, keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. I think that that summarizes well what David writes in Psalm 1 and verse 1. If I will never take the first step towards where sin is, I don't have to worry about sin encapturing me, uh, capturing me and holding me for longer than I ever thought it, it would. But instead of what one avoids, David also says there's a blessing for what one does. 
It is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. In fact, David says, on that law he meditates or literally dwells upon that law day and night. The words of God are so much a part of that person that they just fill his or her mind. That person meditates on those words day and night. In fact, we prayed about that. Brother Sin led us just a few moments ago that we would be meditating upon the Word of God. The idea behind that phrase is that the person thinks of nothing else. His mind, her mind is so filled with the law of God that it they look at everything through the lens of Scripture. That's all they think about is God's Word. Literally notice God's law. But how could that be a blessing? It's a blessing because of what the Scriptures do for us. The Scriptures lead us. The Scriptures guide us. They help us. They comfort us. They encourage us. And yes, they warn us as well. Ultimately, they will judge us. John twelve forty eight. Jesus said, The words that I have spoken will judge you on the last day. Ultimately, the Scriptures will bring us closer to God and will teach us how to be with Him throughout all eternity. That's a blessing. And there's no blessing greater than that. You know, when the Bible pronounces a blessing, we need to sit up and listen. There are certain blessings that God gives just simply to mankind in general. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that God causes His Son to shine on the evil and on the good, causes rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. Those are blessings from God just because we are living. The blessing of weather, the blessing of sun and rain, the blessing of air and food and those sorts of things. God blesses every person with those things simply because we are here. But there are other blessings that God reserves or saves for those who are true followers. And that's the case for this blessing. There is a special blessing for those who avoid sin and let their minds dwell, meditate upon the Word of God. And it's an encouraging blessing because of what God's Word does for us every day of our lives. If we will simply set our roots there and remind ourselves of what it will do, that's the encouraging blessing. Number two, David writes of an earthly contrast. Notice verses three and four. And considering our theme for this year is strengthening our roots, I want us to park in these middle verses for just a moment. In verses three and four, David gives a very clear contrast between the one who receives that great blessing he had just wrote about and the one who does not. And we're going to go in reverse order. Notice, first of all, in verse four, that the wicked person does not have staying power. Instead, David writes that that person is like the chaff that the wind drives away. And that picture doesn't make a lot of sense to most of us because we've never done that or seen that. Maybe you have, but most of us haven't. But you know the picture probably. That in those days, and even some places now, at the end of a, a day of harvesting, they would bring in the grain to a specific location. Sometimes a threshing floor. You see that in Ruth chapter 3 and elsewhere. But a specific location where it was known that in the evening the winds would blow through. And they would separate the grain, the pure grain, from the chaff by taking what basically looks like a giant rake, a winnowing fork, and throwing that entire harvest up into the air, tossing it into the air. And the gentle breezes would blow away the things like the husk, the top part of the the, the shaft, and what would fall back down would be the pure grain. And after tossing that several times, and then the breezes take away the lighter stuff, the chaff, what you had left was a pile of grain that you had desired all along. The breeze carried away the light stuff. Keep that in mind. And so the picture that David is giving us in verse 4 is that the wicked person may look the part. They may look like part of that which is good, but that person doesn't have strength or staying power. When testing comes, in this picture like the winnowing fork, when testing comes, 
Their true colors show through. They're driven away. That's because they're not grounded upon God. Their thoughts are not meditating upon the Word of God constantly. And so they cannot stay strong when difficulties come. But again, going in reverse order, verse 3 is the part we remember so very well. Because it gives a beautiful description, one we just sang about. Just like a tree that's planted by the water, I shall not be moved. I was at a singing one time where the song leader asked everybody to stand up and it was getting later in the evening, so everybody to move forward because you know the crowd is starting to deplete out. Everybody come and move forward. And we sang, I shall not be moved. didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But David uses that beautiful picture. What God through David is saying is, the one who remains in the Word of God is the one who will fight through the storms of life. And notice that it's not just a tree. A tree planted by, literally, channels. We usually see it translated streams or rivers of water. In other words, that tree is right near the nourishment that it needs to grow and to mature. And remember that when David wrote these words, he was living in a time where people were not dying of thirst, but where water was much less than we know it now. They couldn't just walk over to a faucet or a drinking fountain and get whatever water they wanted that was pure enough to drink. They had to work for it. And so to see this this picture of a tree that is right near a water source that would keep it alive and thriving year after year was very powerful, especially those who would have originally read these words. And that nourishment that came from the water helped the tree to continually be productive and not wither. We can picture in our mind a tree that year after year after year produces a wonderful crop of fruit or nuts or maybe in that part of the world of olives. The people can count on it every single year. And that plays into that picture you see in verse 3 of the leaf not withering. The idea is that the tree doesn't just look the part but then wither up before it produces its crop. No, every single year the crop is going to be produced. It's going to have staying power. But David writes then that in all he does... He prospers. David is not writing here, as I've heard this verse used before, about some kind of health and wealth gospel. Instead, David is using that picture of a tree as the background of success. Do you remember in verse 4 the picture of the chaff? What drives the chaff away? It's just simple evening breezes. There's nothing all that difficult about it. Just the normal breezes of the evening are enough to drive the chaff away. But that tree that's planted by the waters is going to be outside, yes, through those evening breezes, but it's going to be outside through storms, through rain, through strong winds, and it's not going anywhere. That tree is going to remain strong. It's going to remain rooted because it's staying near what will give it it nourishment. That's what David wants us to see, that the follower of God is going to face storms in life. David knew that as well as any of us know it, if not even better. David knows that we still live in a world that's filled with difficulty and strife. But if we will remain close and grounded upon that, that will give us true spiritual nourishment, we're not going anywhere. We're going to remain strong. We may bend. We may sway a little bit. But we're not leaving. But to do that, we must stay near the source. Choosing that picture of a tree is so significant because where a tree is, a tree is. It's going to stay. A tree is not going to get up and move. It takes a great deal to fell that tree. But the contrast is seen in that grain. All it takes are those gentle evening breezes to blow away the chaff from the grain. 
Storms would do the chaff in for sure, but just common breezes are enough to remove the chaff and cause it to leave. If I may say it this way, if every smaller thing that comes up in life causes you to drift spiritually, it may be as simple as this. Maybe I haven't been spending enough time thinking about the words of God and drawing my strength and nourishment, spiritual nourishment, from that. We are all going to face difficulties. But those who face the storms of life and their faith remains strong, yes, they may have difficulties, but their faith remains intact, are those who are continually drawing nourishment and strength from the Word of God. And, of course, that plays into our theme for this year. We want to encourage you in your Bible knowledge. A number of sermons have been planned and are being planned to do that. We're going to try to emphasize our Bible school program in various ways. We want to emphasize as many of us as possible to read through the Bible, to read through the New Testament. Tonight, as we begin our services, we're going to give certificates to those who did that in 2015. I pray we have a whole lot more certificates to give out in 2016. There's still Bible reading plans available. And Well, I didn't get one. It's January the 3rd. It's only January the 3rd. You're not that far behind. You you can catch up, I promise. It'll be fantastic if a lot of us would do that. But through it all, the reason is not just to say, hey, I read through the Bible, or hey, I went to a Bible class, or hey, I sat through a bunch of sermons. The reason is because we want each one of us to have our roots firmly established in the Word of God. There's an earthly contrast between the righteous and the wicked. But the Bible is not just about this life. And so David ends the poem by also talking about an eternal outcome. David again shares a contrast. The wicked, verse 5, he says, will not stand in the judgment. Now, scholars suggest that David may have had a couple of things in mind when he wrote that. I tend to agree with him. Because of the picture of the chaff and the tree, he may have immediately had in mind the judgments of this life. Again, those storms of life. That that the, the wicked cannot stand through those things. But, of course, when we read the word judgment, we also know automatically the other picture that David might have had in mind. A more eternal picture. That the wicked we know will not stand in eternal judgment. We don't see as much in the Old Testament that references eternal judgment as we see in the New Testament. It's there, and the people believed in it to a point, but we know more about it because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have the full revelation to understand a fuller picture of what judgment will be like, what heaven and hell will be like. But it's still there in the Old Testament. They still believed in eternity, maybe not as clearly as we do, but they still believed in it. And I believe this to be at least a veiled reference to it, if not a strong reference to it. The wicked will not stand in judgment. Remember, the New Testament tells us that every knee is going to bow. That includes those who think they stand in this life who think they are in charge of this life, but they are not. They'll not be able to stand before a perfectly holy God. They'll fall to their knees realizing their fate. And notice the wording that David uses of those in the congregation or those in the assembly of the righteous. What a contrast. In that time, to be in the congregation or the assembly of the righteous was a very powerful statement because it meant Inclusion in a larger society. Remember that David was writing to the children of Israel, or at least out of their perspective in this poem. And they would have thought of this as a way to be simply a part of society. Because society was based upon the worship and the honoring of God in Israel. And so at the very end of the poem, David writes that the way of the wicked will perish. It looks like their way is going to win, at least in the short term, but they won't. But watch the way of the righteous 
Oh, it's a wonderful outcome. If you mark in your Bible, you may want to mark verse 6. A very simple statement, but a beautiful one. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. I know there are a lot more poetic phrases in the Bible. I know there are a lot deeper statements in the Bible. But that may be one of the most beautiful. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. At times, Christians can wonder if all that we're trying to do is really seen. After all, I I know I'm nothing special. No one really notices what I'm trying to do in the name of the Lord. I don't have a major influence in the world. I'm not a a big fancy star. And sometimes I I think of myself as that one talent man that Jesus talks about. I just can't do all that much. But God sees and God knows, and that's all that really matters. Even David understood that. In the New Testament, Paul would tell us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. God sees your effort. Even that proverbial glass of water you gave someone is seen by God. When you visited that person in the nursing home and they didn't even know you were there, and you spent a few moments with your hand on their shoulder and you prayed with that person, God saw that. Whether even that person knew it or not, God saw it. When you anonymously sent that single mom a gift card so she could take her kids out for a decent meal and a night away, God saw that. When you stayed up half the night cutting out little stick figures and wondering if your Bible school school students were really going to care about the story of Ruth or not, God saw that. God saw the, the, the sleep you lost and the effort you put in. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gave that great judgment scene. He spoke about the things that were mostly done behind the scenes. Feeding the hungry and visiting those who were in need of a visit and those sorts of things. And I love the picture that even the righteous people ask Him, When did we do that to you, Lord? And that's when Jesus says, When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And you you put the connection there. Jesus is basically saying, I saw you do it. I know what you did. It's a powerful picture. But they were just doing it because... That's what Christians do. But it all starts with having a a connection to God through His Word. We read His Word. We hear Him speak to us through it. We see His will. We understand His love for us. We, We understand more deeply that every person in the world is made in His image and that people need Him so desperately. And so out of understanding and compassion, we reach out. And it makes an eternal difference. I've been asked before sometimes why we emphasize the Bible so much. I've been asked why we why, why I should spend so much time studying the Bible. Why should I do that? I think Psalm 1, among many other passages, gives us the answer to that. When we strengthen our roots in the Word of, Word of God, number one, we receive a blessing. When Scripture pronounces a blessing, we need to listen. Because they are blessings from God. And this blessing is for the one who spends his or her time with their mind completely filled and meditating upon the Word of God. When we strengthen our roots in the Word of God, number two, we have a better life here. Not always an easy life, but a better life. The Bible is not only about eternity, although that's the main point. It is also for the here and now. Jesus did say that we might have life and have it more abundantly, John 10 and verse 10. Life is still going to throw us curveballs. Life is still going to give us storms. That certainly is true. But followers of God, those who have spent time and continue to spend time knowing their Creator through His Word, they're the ones who face the storms with wisdom and comfort and strength. They'll be like that tree that produces fruit year in and year out, constantly 
and consistently. And when we strengthen our roots in the Word of God, number three, we have a glorious future. God knows the way of the righteous. And we will be with Him forever and forever and forever. And so that's where we're going in 2016. We want to make certain that our roots are strong in the Word of God. Because no matter what we might do as individual Christians, and no matter what we might do as a body of believers together, as a congregation, if we leave the Scriptures, we've left that which God has given us to give us strength and to bring us home to Him. We will no longer be bearing fruit for Him. I want to know God. Not just about God. I want to know God. And I know you do as well. But to know Him as fully and as deeply as you possibly can, plant yourself in His nourishing Word and drink deeply from it. Strengthen your roots in His Word and know Him. He has told us in His Word that He loves us. He has told us in His Word that He loved us enough that He knew our predicament and sin that we could never get out of except by His grace and mercy. He has told us in His Word that He loved us enough to set out a plan to send the only sacrifice that could have been made in our place, His own begotten Son, His only begotten Son, to take my place, to die in my stead. And God has told us that if I will simply obey what He has told me to do, that I get to be with Him forever. And I want that so much. But the only way I'm going to do that is to spend this life drawing ever nearer to Him by knowing Him through His Word and helping others do the same. Do you know Him? Are you like that tree that's planted firmly by the channels of water that when the storms of life come, you're not going anywhere, but you're going to continue to draw strength from God through His Word? Or... Are you like that chaff? That the difficulties of life come and it simply is enough to move you away. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who somehow is able to turn chaff into a tree? And I know which one I'd rather be. And if you would rather be a tree firmly planted by the channels of water this morning, we invite you to come while we stand and sing to encourage you.